Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Hey, let's give a hand to the worship team. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. It's awesome. I love that exalted overall. Tony, you had a little extra pepper on that song, man. That was good. Love that. Love that. Hey, if you're a guest, we want to welcome you here this morning as well. Uh, We're actually been going through a series called The Meaning of Marriage, and this morning we are talking about singleness. Uh, we're talking about singleness. So this morning, our scripture reading is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for our scripture reading. If you have your Bibles, open them up. 1 Corinthians 7, you can follow along there or on the screen. And uh, meet me in verse 25, and we're going to take it down to 31. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not Mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God of God, light of lights, we come here to worship you. And we need you to tell us who we are. We forget throughout the week who we are, and we forget who you are. So would you please, through your word, tell us who, who we are. Remind us again who you are. You are the God who fills up empty things. Ever since Genesis 1, you've been filling up empty things full. You've filled up this world full of life. You've filled up uh, people throughout the Bible with life and you're still doing that today you are a God who fills us full I pray God Lord that you would just continue to do that today you would fill up these rooms full of your presence we thank you for that fill us up full with your spirit talk to us help us hear and change our lives we pray in Jesus strong name amen Amen. We have been talking about the goodness of marriage for the last few weeks, which has been, that's been great. That's been really helpful for many of us. But there is a danger that we need to address, especially in uh, Christian subculture, church subculture. We need to, this is the time in the series we need to address this danger. As Christians, we can tend to make an idol out of marriage. We can. We can make an idol out of marriage. We, we just flat out need to be honest about that. We, we who hold to a, a traditional view of marriage are guilty of glorifying marriage as the end-all, be-all relationship that you could ever be in, right? 
We tend to view marriage as the ultimate relationship, and there's an effect on that. The effect of that thinking is that marriage is the ultimate goal in life. And that starts out when we're really young. We kind of put this on our kids. Well, who are you going to marry? We kind of think this way, especially young girls. Who am I going to marry? This is where this thinking leads. We idolize marriage in our minds. And we do this for a variety of reasons. Uh, we do it because we see it as marriage is a source of stability. We think people that are married are necessarily more stable than people that are not married. Uh, we believe that marriage builds a more secure future by providing a spouse, possibly children, to, to carry on the legacy of that family name. And there's some of us that have had, felt a lot of pressure to do that in our life. We believe that marriage is the only way to have truly intimate and meaningful relationships. And here's what happens when we view marriage, which is good, in such a glorified, exalted way. Here's, here's what happens. It implies that singleness is plan B. It's fine if this doesn't work out. That, that living unmarried is not a life that should be willingly or gladly embraced. That, that somehow it is lesser than or inferior to married life. And so we need to ask the question, is that true? I mean, some of us, we've felt that way when we've come into a church and on Sunday morning. Just the way that that church has structured things and talks about things. Or we've come into a life group or a Bible study. We've felt that. Maybe not intentionally been put off, but it's still there. Is that true? The Bible's answer is a resounding no. No, it's not. We need the gospel family to correct our understanding of singleness. See, here's the big idea of the message today. The gospel balances our view of marriage so we can live in our specific calling from God with confidence. Let me say that again. The gospel balances our view of marriage so we can live in our specific calling from God with confidence. See, this morning, what I want to talk about is this. We're going to look at three ways that the gospel balances our view of marriage. And the first way it does is, is that the gospel arranges our, rearranges our source of ultimate satisfaction. It rearranges our source of satisfaction. See, we have been pouring over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been pouring over what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 about the goodness of marriage. But when we go and we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which Paul also wrote, by the way, it seems like Paul is downplaying the goodness of marriage. If you, take, if you read through that whole chapter, and like he's extolling the virtuousness of, of being single. So like we gotta ask, like, what's going on there? What's happening? Is he contradicting himself? So, so let's take a closer look just at a, a couple of these verses that we're gonna highlight, all right? Let's go to verse uh, 29, and we'll skip down to the end of, uh, of 31, all right? Paul says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, those who have wives, should, uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. And just on a side, I want to point out what he actually says. He doesn't say that for this world is passing away. What's he actually say? For this present form of this world is passing away. The present form of the world is passing away. Paul is giving Christians a much-needed correction to their understanding of marriage by looking at it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He takes some really big ideas and he just compresses them down in this part of his argument in chapter seven. In just a few sentences, he's telling us that what we need to do is we need to reorient, re-aim our life based on the time that we presently live in, all right? He's not talking about the amount of time that we have. He's talking about the era of time that we're in, the quality of the time that we are living in. We live in what the theologians call the overlap of the ages. There's an age here and an age to come, and we're living in this, there's this overlap where they overlap, and we're living in that overlap of the ages. It's the time between Christ's resurrection from the grave, which we just sang about, and his return, okay? When Christ came, he proclaimed the kingdom had come to earth because the true king had come to earth. And he proved this through various, his claims through various miracles and signs and his teaching. And then he died on a cross instead of sitting on an earthly throne. And that confused everybody. What was going on there? But then the Bible says that he was resurrected on the third day. And he ascended, and he is now sitting on the throne of heaven. He is making his rule visible in this small group of people called the church, and he will return to make his rule visible worldwide, and he will restore, he will restore all things to their right place, both in our universe and in our neighborhood. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God, and that's exactly what Jesus came preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn into it, live into it. So what Paul is saying here is that since this is the certain future for believers, this is how it's going to be worldwide. This is going to be the order of things. And we have a certain future that's secured for us. We need to recognize where we truly find our ultimate satisfaction right now. And live that way. Live according to that truth. Our ultimate satisfaction is not in finding someone to spend the rest of our lives with. That's what he's saying. Our, our satisfaction is found in living the rest of our life in the new creation with Christ. You have found someone to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. And he's good. He's so good. Paul says that the way society measures success and sorrow right now, the way that society structures winners and losers right now is coming to an end because the kingdom of Christ has broken into this world ahead of schedule and something better is on the way. And we know it's on the way because we're tasting it right now through the good news of Jesus Christ. Our lives have been changed. That's the down payment. So don't try to find your ultimate satisfaction in the things as they are ordered right now, like marriage, like family, like having children, like having grandchildren. Paul is saying, enjoy those things, but don't be enamored with them. Don't be so enmeshed with them that that's where you find your ultimate joy and satisfaction, that they become an idol. He says, desire those things, but don't let their absence destroy you where you can't function and know what life is all about. 
Do you hear the correction for married folk in here as well as the encouragement for single folk? It's happening at the same time here. This is brilliant. Both singleness and marriage are not permanent situations, though they can feel permanent at times, right? That's what he's saying. Listen, life in the kingdom of God is your permanent situation. And if you are trusting Christ, that's your secure future. That's what you're looking ahead to. And that's what everything else that you're deciding is oriented around. That's what you're aiming your life at, in other words. Are you tracking with me? That means this, that you can be single and satisfied in Christ. Marriage does not secure a hopeful future for you. Having children does not secure your future. Having grandchildren does not secure your future. It's not all resting on that. That's a very precarious place to put your hope. Christ secures your future, brothers and sisters, and it is a future full of gain and not loss. It is one of renewal. It is one of restoration of all that has been damaged and lost by sin and Satan and death. And that's our future. Living with God, living with God satisfies us in a far deeper way than even living with another human being. And that's a profound mystery as well. What does Paul say about marriage in chapter five of Ephesians? It's a profound mystery. This is a profound mystery, guys. But it's not nonsense. It's possible being one with him, living with him forever is what you and I are made for. Paul said exactly the same thing that the psalmist said hundreds and hundreds of years before in his poem in Psalm 84. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. He's not writing that about a woman. He's writing that about his God. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. Guys, marriage is good, but it has never been ultimate for the Christian. It's never been designed to be that way. Its purpose throughout the whole scope and sweep of scripture has always been to point people to their ultimate and their permanent satisfaction which is being united with Christ this means that if you are united to Christ you can live single and satisfied right now and forevermore absolutely I've, I've been talking with some people uh, lately in our own church that, that are singles and it's been enriching for me I just want to say thank you for, for opening your heart up to me. But I asked some of them, you know, and I love asking this question. What is one, I said, look, help me be a better pastor, okay? I need you to help me be a better leader. What is one thing you wish the church knew about being single? And I got some different answers, but here's one that was in common. I wish that they knew that I am a complete person without a spouse, I wish they knew that it is just, it's not awful being on my own, though I have some bad days. I wish they knew that. And you know what? It's true. 
It's true. Absolutely. There is a satisfaction, the scripture says, and our experience with Christ, our, even our body of Christ bears this out. There's a satisfaction that can be found in Christ that it's not found in any other person. I've known too many singles and widows and widowers to have me believe otherwise. It's a real deal. So the gospel balances our view of marriage by telling us that it fills the single life with freedom and purpose. The gospel fills the single life with freedom and purpose. Sam Albury is a single Christian pastor in, a pastor in the UK, and he is someone who's greatly enriched my theology of singleness. He's helped fill that out where I've had some weak spots in that. And he says this in an interview. I recommend anything that he, he's written, basically. He's a solid guy. He said this recently in an interview that, quote, the church tends to define singleness in almost completely negative terms. But the New Testament defines singleness primarily by what they have, not what they lack. Isn't that interesting? Have you found that to be true? Albury has really hit on something here, I think. The gospel of Jesus actually fills the single life. It fills the single life. Yes, there is a type of absence. Yes, that is there. It is real to be sure, but there is also the presence of gifts as well. Singleness for the Christian is a life filled with freedom and purpose. One of those freedoms is this, it's the freedom from certain anxieties. And Paul describes and delineates this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 34. Let's check the text out. It says, Paul says, I want you to be free from what? From anxieties. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, namely how to please the Lord. That's what he means by that. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, namely how to please his wife. <laughs> and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, namely how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, meaning how to please her husband. Marriage is not the final solution to our problem of loneliness or purpose or meaning or excitement, family. When you unite your life to another's, you gain troubles along with the joy that you gain right? It's harder to provide because you have more people in the mix now. It's, it's harder. It's harder to move. It's harder to come and go in social events. You got to figure out how to get childcare. I mean, it's just harder to do certain things. It's harder to adjust to big changes that hit you in the economy because you have at least one other person, at least one other person that you have to consider at all times. And on top of all that, the great apostle Paul, who is single himself and quite satisfied with his life, he says it's generally hard just to please that other person on a day-by-day day -day basis. It's hard to please them. Like, you really have to work hard at understanding what pleases your spouse. Like, for decades, okay? It's <laughs> just not automatic. <laughs> And just when you think you know, they change. <laughs> it's, 
It does not come automatic. All the married people said, amen. Here's what I'm saying. Listen to me. Listen to me. What I'm saying is this. Just because you have someone to come home to does not necessarily mean you always want to come home to them. <laughs> Am I right? I'm right. I'm right. We need to be honest about that. Here's the secret, guys, that your married friends won't tell you, and I'm going to tell you. You can be married and feel completely alone. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the worst kind of alone. I am attached and intertwined with someone that I'm supposed to love, and they love me, and it ain't working. And I can't go anywhere else. Married people, listen to me. One way you can serve the body of Christ is by occasionally talking about the real troubles in your marriage. Like, stop pretending that your marriage is a Disney princess movie and they all live happily ever after, okay? Just stop that. We know that's not true, and singles know that's not true. So let's be honest. Let's not bear false witness, which I think is a commandment, right? This is a great way you can serve the body. Paul says to singles, your life is not empty, even though the world, and I'm sorry, sometimes the church might make you think that. Your life is filled with freedom, freedom from anxieties. But there's another freedom as well. Singles are filled with freedom to focus on the Lord, free from and free to. Free to focus on the Lord. Look at uh, uh, verse 35 here. It says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and get this, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what he wants. I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, Christian. The married Christian is divided in their devotion. They're constantly balancing and adjusting the devotion of their time and their money and their energy between their spouse and their God, their family and their God. Constantly doing that. We're constantly moving the fulcrum of that balance. It doesn't stay in one spot. The single Christian, on the other hand, is free to have undivided devotion to the Lord. You are able to serve the Lord, get this, in a wider range of ways than we are. There are more doors that are open to you. And, and get this, you're able to serve in a lot greater capacity than married people. The single people I know are busy. They are busy. Their schedule is full. Because there's wider doors of opportunity. They can slide in more slots than married people can. And they, they have that energy to devote to that. You can come early. You can stay till midnight. You can go and go at that if you want. I, I'm just going to go through some more advantages. Is that all right? As a single, you are acquainted with a wider demographic of people by virtue of your status in life. You kind of have to relate to people of lots of different age groups and different kinds of careers and places, stages of life that they're in. You kind of have to do that. And so you are more connected to a wider group of people. You know what that means? That you are more aware of what's happening in society and what's going on around us than married folk. 
Whereas married people, we generally get stuck mainly with what's happening inside of our own family. Maybe we'll branch out and find out what's going on in other married people's lives. So you can kind of let us know what's going on in the world and in the neighborhood better. Not only that, but it's easier for single people to be entrepreneurial. It's not that married people can't do that. We do that, but it's, it's a little bit easier for you to do that, to help fund and care for things that you value, which allows you to meet needs more quickly. I see it. I got it. Let's go. I meet it. There's no committee that you have to consort with. You can go do that and rally people around that. Guys, I just want to say for those of you that are unmarried, thank you for what you bring to society. Thank you for what you bring to Crossway Church. We need you. We love you. No one's going to clap on that. That's all right. Hey, <laughs> listen, what I'm saying is this. There are all, these are all advantages that I'm bringing up. These are all advantages that, that you are free to leverage maximally for the glory of God, both in the local church and through your career. And you should be doing that. I have a friend who, uh, a woman who recently lost her uh, husband to cancer a few years ago. Uh, this was back in Missouri. Uh, she went through a season of deep grieving naturally, of course. But as she came out of that period, she grabbed hold of this freedom. And it, it really, it radically changed her life. It really did. I mean, she basically, as she's coming out of that, that grieving period, she, she, in, she basically like inventoried her life. She did a lot of deep reflection with the Bible open, and she inventoried like all the line items in her life. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and she devoted it to glorifying God. She was like this, you know what? I've got this house now with all this space, God. What do you want? How do you want me to use that? What do you want me to do with that, Lord? Like, I've got this car. Where do you need me to go in this car? I've got these new prayers that are freed up. I could be praying for other people. Who do you want me to be praying for, Lord? I've got this time now on my hand. How do you want me to use it, Lord? It was amazing to like literally watch, my family watch the transformation in her life. And though she still misses her husband, to be sure, her life is full of freedom for the Lord and she is finding real joy in using that freedom in new and creative ways that weren't even available to her before. She's in a sense enjoying that as difficult as that may be, be to believe. That's a profound mystery, is it not? But it's real. It's a joy talking with her and she challenges me personally. Here's what I'm edging towards. Singleness is full of purpose as well as those freedoms. And we've been talking about this um, uh, in the series earlier, but Christian marriage visibly reflects Christ's faithfulness, right? We cover that. He makes vows, promises, and he keeps them. So Christian marriage, that purpose is to visibly, where you can see, people can see with their own eyes that the, the Christ's faithfulness to his people. Christian singleness, however, visibly reflects Christ's ability to ultimately satisfy a life. And we need both. You have a great and godly purpose, just like married people. The unmarried Christian that has devoted herself or himself to the Lord is saying to an unbelieving world, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Here's what you're saying with your life. 
Christ is my source of life and acceptance and love. He satisfies all my needs and not another. I trust him this much. And an unbelieving world looks at that kind of person. They look at that kind of devotion to the Lord and they've got to deal with that. They can't shrug that off. Like when I say Christ alone satisfies me, what do you think they do? Yeah, right. Christ and your wife and the fact you have kids and, and, and. See what I'm saying? They can easily dismiss that, though it may be true. But when an unmarried person says Christ alone satisfies me, they, people cannot dismiss you as easily. Something profound is going on there because you're living that way. You're actually walking that direction to your future. They have to say, look, Christ's compassion and love, is that real for you? Maybe I need to rethink this Jesus thing. Maybe I got it all wrong. You've got a powerful witness. Married and unsingle folk, your life shows off how satisfying Jesus is. And that is a life that is crammed full of purpose and meaning and honor. The gospel balances our view of marriage in a third way. It creates a way to experience relational satisfaction. The gospel actually creates a way to experience relational satisfaction. Now, the world tells singles day in and day out through movies, music, and magazines, you will not be really happy unless you are intimately, physically involved with someone. And the church, unfortunately, does know better sometimes. We just kind of Christianize that message. We say, well, the church tells singles, well, you will not be really happy unless you're married because that's the only way you can experience a physical, intimate relationship. But you know what? Jesus changed all that. Jesus changed that. Look at Mark 3, 34 through 35. It says this, and looking, he's in a house. And looking about those who sat around him, he, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother to experience deep forgiveness of sins and to experience deep repentance from sins bonds us with other people that are not of our bloodline. It's an amazing thing to be graced by God. Christians share a common grace experience, guys, that is more profound than the biological family. And it is even more profound than a marriage relationship. The gospel through the local church gives us the power to make deeply committed and deeply intimate relationships apart from marriage. This is good news for all people not just married people. Sam Alberry again, he's so helpful explaining how the gospel actually applies to our lives as singles. He says this, our Western culture has so identified sex and intimacy that in popular thinking, the two are virtually identical. But sex and intimacy are not the same. It's possible to have a lot of sex and yet find no intimacy. Amen? This is what prostitution is all about. 
Sex is designed, he says, to deepen and to express intimacy that already exists. It cannot in itself create it, but that means it's also possible to have huge amount of godly, healthy intimacy without sex. Do you see how the gospel really actually is good news for single people? I hope you do. You are able to have intimate, meaningful relationships as well. You are not shut out of intimate relationships when you follow Jesus Christ. You're not denied that. You are not at a sub-level because the gospel creates the church, which is our new family. And it should be filled with people from all kinds of different situations and circumstances in life. And we need one another. We can bond with one another and have these meaningful relationships. When we lived in Missouri, Vanessa and I would invite this young man over uh, to our house. And he was a good-looking guy, you know, strong. He looked on the outside like well put together, right? But inside, he battled these intense anxieties. And he was single, and he lived alone. And, and he was working through some stuff. And one night, uh, he asked if he could come over to our house for just a couple of hours. He's like, look, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. I know that. But God, just come over and just hang out for a couple of hours. And I told him, I said, well, you know what? We're folding laundry on the couch and we're doing bath time and putting our babies to bed. So like, we can't entertain you. We can't really like make a meal or anything like that. His reply, that would be wonderful. <laughs> That'd be Wonderful. I'm on my way over. This is not complex. He did not want us to focus on him. Hey, single person, welcome to our home. He didn't want us to focus on him. He didn't even want us to rearrange our schedule for him. He just wanted to be invited into our boring, mundane family routine, and he wanted a safe place to be a mess for a couple of hours. He just wanted a safe place to be himself. In other words, he wanted intimacy and family with meaningful relationships, just like we all do. Just like we all do. One person recently told me, look, we don't want to be part of a singles ministry. We want to be part of the church. You know what they were telling me? They were saying, look, don't start a singles ministry to minister to singles. That don't work, and that's not what we want. Open your homes and lives to them and let them in. It's that simple. It's that complicated. Help them find that intimacy in the church because we all know what it's like to be in need of grace and to receive that grace from Jesus Christ. That is why we view one another as brother, sister, mother, father, right? We've all been adopted into the family by grace, not by anything we have worked at or structured ourselves. 
if you are married, the reason, the reason that God has blessed you with a marriage is to make you more like him. And you can do that in part by opening your lives to those that are unmarried, whether it's during your trips to the store or soccer practices or family messy meals or holiday. If you are single, the reason God has blessed you with the gift of singleness is to make you more like him. And you can do that in part by embracing your singleness as an opportunity to love and serve others in a way that not everyone can. You do that by embracing this undivided devotion to the Lord in your career, in your volunteerism, in your church. Intimate relationship, guys, are not forged on Sunday morning. Have you figured that out yet? Intimate relationships are not forged on Sunday morning worship services. They are forged in the mundane days that we share with one another. And so here's my challenge to you, family. Make room and invite people in just like Jesus did for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you fill us full when you come into our life. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us ignore the voices in our head and on our screens and in the world that would tell us otherwise. And there are times that we feel loneliness, whether we're married or single, and that's real. And for those that are feeling a sting of loneliness, Lord, come meet with them. Come be with them. But God, you fill our lives with freedoms. You fill our lives with purpose. You fill us with relationships that are intimate and meaningful and can be even more so until we see each other in the new creation. This is just a head start. So God, I pray that you would balance our view of marriage. It's not the ultimate. Life with you is. Balance our view of singleness. It's great in some ways. And yet it's not permanent. But you are permanent. You're eternal. So this week, Lord Jesus, would you, by the Holy Spirit, help us find ways where we need to restructure our families. We need to rearrange our schedules. We need to put room for margin so we can open up our homes in just very informal, common ways to one another and to those that are outside the church. They have no idea who you are. They have no idea how great you are. Help us share you with them this week. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.